All right. Everybody have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah, good, good, good. I did too. Um, there are two things you need to have a good Thanksgiving. Now, at one point in my life, I thought these two things were um, those candied sweet potatoes with the melted marshmallows and one pie per person. Okay? Now, I have come to realize that the two things needed for a great Thanksgiving are it's something to be thankful for and, and someone to be thankful to. Now, if we're not careful, that second part can be the thing that slips away from us, and, and we don't ever want that to happen. So if we can continue to count our blessings and continue to bring every blessing back to God, to its ultimate source, then we can experience and celebrate Thanksgiving every day, every day. The scripture is full of commandments and callings for us to, to have a spirit of thanksgiving, and that's what it's about. Great. I thank God for you and this time we have together. If you have a Bible, open it to John chapter 8. We're going to start there. We're going to jump around a little bit this morning. But we're going to start there. If you don't have a Bible, there may be one under the seat in front of you. If you don't own one, take that one with you. It's our gift, free. Okay. This week, very excited. Um, we are starting a five-week mini-series called In Person. And this is a study of the incarnation, the arrival, the birth of Jesus Christ. And um, I am so excited. It's rare that I'm this excited about a series. But as I work through it, it is working on me and, and doing some beautiful things. And, and I'm convinced that it will help us understand and appreciate and experience Christmas as we never have before. And, and, and it will change our lives. And, and I'm so, so grateful for that. So stay with us through this series. It's, it's going to be wonderful this morning. This morning, if we do nothing else... I want us all, you, me, everybody, to be swept up, to be swept away in the wonder and the glory of the incredible, indescribable love that God has for us and the incredible, um, extravagant means that he went to to demonstrate that. So that's my prayer for you this morning, that we would all be swept up in, in the wonder of, of his great love and, and how he's demonstrated that. Um, this, uh, the title of this first message is A Savior Without a Birthday. Um, I know something about um, not having uh, a birthday um, because uh, my wife, Shree, who is taking our daughter Quincy to Grand Junction to fly back to college for a couple of weeks, um, She's not here, so let's talk about her. Um, all through her life, she had celebrated, my wife, Shree, had celebrated her birthday on December 15th. And when we got married, she had to um, find her birth certificate. And, and, and oddly enough, her birth certificate said December 16th. So naturally, she went back to her mom and said, was I born on the 15th or the 16th? And she said, I don't know. One of the two, <laughs> she said, well, she tried to parlay two birthdays out of that. And I said, well, that doesn't fly with me, but, but we're going to talk about two birthdays later. So just keep that in the back of your mind. But some people, some people, the, the title, a savior without a birthday seems a little sack, seems a little sacrilegious. You know, I, I can almost hear somebody saying, oh, oh, Jesus had a birthday, all right. 
don't start messing around with me with December 25th because that's why they have Black Friday. That's why I was up at 3 a.m. That's why, that's why they have Cyber Monday coming up tomorrow. I am not returning all those gifts. This is when I get my Christmas cards out first. This is when I get Bob. I bug him to get that, that tree out of the attic and I can't get him to hang those Christmas lights that I can't get him to take down before Easter. Don't mess with my December 25th. I'm not going to. Really, it's cool that we do the December 25th thing. And get this, Jesus is not offended by us celebrating on December 25th. I guarantee it, he's not. But in reality, as scholars have studied um, the census that was taken when, when Mary and Joseph went um, uh, really, the estimates are, are probably late spring into the summertime, somewhere in there, um, that this took place. But um, what I'm getting at is that Jesus did have, in one sense, an actual birthday. There was a specific day when he was born to Mary and Joseph, although Mary will tell you she did all the work, in the feed trough, in, in right, right? homeless baby. There is a day that would be on Jesus' driver's license at his birthday if, in fact, he was carded when he changed the water into wine. Um, There is a day. However, in another sense, in a more important sense, Jesus has no birthday. Jesus has no birthday because Way before Bethlehem, Jesus was alive. And for us to be able to fully download the majesty and the glory and the magnificence of of Christmas, of the incarnation, we have to try to wrap our minds around his eternal glory, uh, his being God without time, beyond time. And so that's what we're going to do. Now, before we dig into the scripture, I'm reminded CBS has its biggest series in a long time. In fact, this show, um, the premiere, I believe a year ago, was the biggest premiere that they had on that network since like 1987. And, and the show, incredibly popular, is Undercover Boss. Anybody seen it? Raise your hand if you've ever, really? Well, maybe it's not that popular. <laughs> okay, it's on tonight if you want to catch it. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar with Undercover Boss, here's, here's how it generally unfolds. That they take a CEO or top corporate executive and they remove him or her from their corner office, you know, their, 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 their perch up there, and they put them in disguise. And this executive goes into the company uh, in disguise and, and often works in the most menial jobs with their employees. So they're cleaning toilets, they're washing windows, they're working on the assembly line, they're parking cars, whatever it is, right? And, and in that, they get to know the inner workings of their company. More importantly, they get to know the people, their employees who are working for them and with them. And most importantly, the employees get to know their bosses, although they don't know it at the time, in a way that otherwise would have been impossible. Impossible. And, and the things that transpire from that are just heart-wrenching. They're beautiful. Now, 
Um, they start every episode off with spending some time with the executive in their executive role. And then they go into um, working in, in, the, in, the, in the company, right? Now, if you tune in and you miss the, the first 10 minutes, then you're going to miss the weight of and the beauty of what this person does. And, and in the same way, if, if we only look at Jesus from the manger on, then we miss the beauty and the glory and the majesty of what he did in, in coming for you and for me, of, of, of coming and emptying himself and humbling himself because undercover boss is beautiful and it's touching, but it doesn't compare to what Jesus has done. So that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna back up the Christmas story and say, what was Jesus doing before the manger, before Bethlehem. Now, when Jesus told people that he was doing anything before Bethlehem, typically he freaked them out. Now, a little setup for the text that we're gonna look at in John 8. We're gonna pick it up in, in verse uh, 56. The Pharisees, like the rigid church people, are having an argument with Jesus. How odd, how odd. Right? So here's what they're talking about. They're talking about Abraham, right? Which is where they get their identity. So they're talking about Abraham who lived 2,000 years before Jesus was, was born in the manger in Bethlehem, right? So, so here they're saying, Abraham is our father and Jesus, you're possessed by a demon. Note to self, you might want to take this down. Never good to tell Jesus he's possessed. Okay, because that's when it starts to get a little ugly. Here we go, verse uh, 56. Jesus is speaking. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And the Pharisee said, so the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. He was in his early 30s. You are not yet 50 years old. And you have seen, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly. Now, we've said it before. Jesus doesn't stutter. If he repeats himself, it's because it's very important, right? Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Wow, this is huge. Before Abraham was, I am. Now, the Pharisees understood that this meant two things, at least two things. It meant that Jesus was living 2,000 years before they were having this conversation. So Jesus is actually at least 2,030 years old. And the second thing, which is far more troubling to the Pharisees, this means that Jesus is claiming to be God. Because God is the only one who can use the nickname, I am. We see it throughout scripture. When Moses was on the mount, you know, he's on the outside. He's got the commandments. He's seen the burning bush and he's going back down to the people. He says, who do I tell him has sent me? God said, tell them I am sent you. Oh, for all eternity past, I am. For years in, in, in your memory, I am. Back when cell phones also came with this heavy backpack thing, I am. In today, I am. Tomorrow, I am. In eons to come, I am. I am 
I am God. So this is what Jesus was claiming, is claiming to be. So can we please just do away with the drivel, the very popular um, misconception um, that Jesus was somehow some good moral guy, that Jesus was some good teacher, that Jesus was a prophet. He claimed to be God Almighty. So we have three choices, C.S. Lewis tells us, that he's either, Jesus is either a colossal nut job, Jesus is either that or a pathological liar, or Jesus is who he said he is, God Almighty. He did not leave the option of great teacher, great prophet open to us. He didn't intend to. He didn't intend to. So truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And they actually respond rather strongly. Take a look at 59. So the Jews picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. They tried to kill him in church. Okay, here's the practical application for you. No killing people in church, okay? No picking up rocks. You so much as pick up your coffee, funny. I got the police on speed dial. And I got Sumi here who's packing heat. All right? All right. Jesus, we just got to get this straight because it's rampant. Jesus didn't start being God when he was born in Bethlehem. Jesus didn't start being God when he was baptized and the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove. Jesus was always God. He's not some guy that started being really religious and leading a very moral life and God's looking down on him and going, oh yeah, he's pretty special. Hey, Jesus, this is God. Guess what? I'm gonna give you a promotion. I'm gonna make you God Jr. How you like this? You get to walk on water, heal people, and be crucified. And action. That's not how it happened. That's not how it happened. And Jesus is not one of this exhaustive list of prophets that came from every possible religion and faith tradition across the earth and across time. He's not that. He's not some, some prophet that, that God said, you go give them like everybody else gives them this pablum message of universal spirituality that says all roads lead home. So just everybody, can't we get along and have no moral absolutes and hold hands and sing kubaya and eat kashi and recycle? No. Although some of those things are okay. Jesus is God alone. And so don't shrink back, followers of Jesus Christ. When people say to you, and if you live loud, they will. If you love loud, they will. Who are you to say that Jesus is the only way? I'm nobody. He said it. Either follow him or throw him out. But we're not gutsy enough to throw him out because we know. We know. Every time we write a check, every time we check a calendar, the world is testifying that he was born. Amen? Okay. 
So what's Jesus been up to before he joined the nativity scene? Jesus was large and in charge from the very beginning. Let's go all the way back. You don't have to turn there. We're just going to look at the first verse. The first page of your Bible, Genesis 1, 1. Here they go. It's the very beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Will you say those first four words with me? In the beginning, God. Do it again. In the beginning, God. And I'm doing that. We're doing that so that we can see a similarity. A similarity. Very similar. In fact, you're in John 8. Turn to the left a couple of pages to John 1, the first chapter of the book of John. We're going to look at John 1, 1. Now, same Holy Spirit writing the scripture. John is retelling the creation story in light of Jesus Christ. Here he's going. John 1, 1 says this. In the beginning was the word. Now you're saying, I'm looking at that whole passage I don't see Jesus mentioned at all. Well, the word, when you see capital W, that means Jesus. Jesus is the word made flesh. So as we read this, and many of you know this and have been through it, but it's powerful. We're going to put the the name Jesus where it says the word. In the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God. Jesus was in the beginning with God. Verse 3 And all things were made through Jesus, and without Jesus was not anything made that was made. Okay, stay there. I just want you to see how beautifully uh, this is unpacked in uh, Paul's letter to the uh, Colossian church. Um, In verse 16 of chapter 1, Paul writes to them, For by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And Jesus is before all things. And in Jesus, all things hold together. I'm going to read that part again because it's so important. Okay? All things were created by Jesus, for Jesus, through Jesus. And he is before all things. And in Jesus, all things hold together. Now, Scientists, many of whom reject the whole idea of God and and Jesus Christ, um, tell us this truth. They tell us the truth that the visible universe contains, and I got to read this because I want to get it right, for 100 billion galaxies, if you can imagine that, with each each with a diameter of millions of trillions of miles wide. Each galaxy contains hundreds of billions of stars. And you can see this more in Gunnison than you can any other place that I've ever been. Go out and take a look at it. Now, to put this in perspective, if you could circle the earth seven times in a second, you'd be moving at the speed of light. If you traveled at that speed, it would take you 28 billion years to cross the known universe. That's how big it is. That's what he created. That's what he holds together. He, and he holds together the, every living and inanimate thing created and the 100 trillion complex cells in your body and in the bodies of the 7 billion people who occupied the earth at this time. He holds that together. Is it any wonder that some of the people that we love, some of our friends, many of our family members, many of the members of our community, 
feel as though they are falling apart emotionally, relationally, financially, um, spiritually, and in every other way because they have rejected the love of Jesus Christ and he holds all things together. And many profess faith in Christ and are still falling apart because they're unsurrendered fully to the grace and mercy and love of Jesus Christ. He holds all things together. That's what he does. That's what he was doing. That is the baby born in the manger. Jesus was and is the very God who created, who sustains, who holds together, came to rescue, came to rescue and and make right little you, little me. Yes, little me. In the scope of all that, the greatest being ever in the universe, glorious and eternal, came for you. Nobody's ever come and shown up for me. He did. He did. So before we close, I I, want to take a look. Let's go to John, back to John, if you're still there. I hope you are. Let's look at uh, verse uh, 14. And the word became flesh. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Okay. Now, I'm sorry. I, I, I meant to go to verse four and where we left off. Let's read that. Not that 14 is not good. It's great, but we're going to get to it. In Jesus was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, will never overcome it. And in Christ, the darkness will never overcome you. And for those of you who struggle with depression and despair, and, and things will never get better, and in Christ, the darkness will not overcome you. That's what it's saying. So as I said, before we close, we want to take a look at, at, at some things. Jump down to 18, verse 18. No one has the... Now, you've got to look at this carefully because it can be confusing, okay? Look at this. No one has ever seen God. The word there for God is the Father. No one has ever seen God the Father. Only The only God, that's referring to Jesus, who is at the Father's side. Jesus has made God the Father known, okay? Nobody has ever seen God the Father, but God the Son, Jesus, has, has made him visible, has made him known. So because we know this is true, we know that in the Old Testament, God appeared, right, to different people in different ways. And because we know this is true, we know that Jesus has been showing up from day one. From day one, these are called, in the Old Testament, physical appearances of God, of Jesus Christ, are called Christophanies, okay? Now, just as you continue in your own study of Christophanies, of Jesus in the Old Testament before Bethlehem appearing to people. Here's what you need to keep in mind. John 1, 18. Nobody has ever seen God the Father. Okay, so when we have appearances of God, we have to ask, does the New Testament refer to this event in the Old Testament as an appearance of Jesus? Many times it does. You know that's a Christophany. Now, does this person, this God appearance, does this person receive and accept worship? If they do, that's Jesus, okay? Because when an angel appears and, and people 
uh, are overwhelmed and they try to worship the angel. They say, always, no, 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 don't you do that. I'm a servant like you. You worship God, God alone. But if this person accepts and receives worship, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. Is this person addressed as Lord? And generally speaking, here's something you may want to search out. When you see in the Old Testament the words, the angel of the Lord, as opposed to an angel of the Lord, when you see the words, the angel of the Lord, generally speaking, that's Jesus Christ. If you want to go on Bible Gateway or another concordant site on the web and you search in quotations, the angel of the Lord, you're going to find roughly 52 references in the Old Testament. Generally speaking, those are appearances of Jesus Christ pre-Bethlehem. Just to give you a sampling, because it's exciting. Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve have messed up, they ate the fruit, they listened to the serpent, they fell, right? They hear God walking in the garden, and they decide to go hide in the trees. Okay, not a brilliant strategy, but they're falling now, right? Guess who they hear walking around? That's Jesus. That's Jesus, In Genesis 32, when Jacob wrestled all night with this holy presence, that was Jesus. In Exodus, when the Lord led the Israelites in the wilderness with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, that's Jesus. In uh, Joshua chapter 5, when the captain of the Lord's army comes to Joshua and they're about to go knock down the walls of, of the city of Jericho, and he leads them into battle. That's Jesus. In Daniel chapter three, when Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, many of you know the story, they would not deny the God of the Bible. They would not reject him in order to be released. So their punishment, their torture, was to be bound up, to be tied up, and be thrown in this huge incinerator, this big furnace that had been stoked up to this uber heat, right? They're going to get thrown in. So they get thrown in, and, and their torturers, the people who, who threw them in, are saying to the king, they're saying, we don't see three people in there. We see four people walking around in there, and they don't have any chains on them. They're not tied up, and the fourth one looks like the Son of God. You bet he did. That was Jesus Christ. That was Jesus Christ. And he is, he is all of that. And it's important. It's important that we know. Picking up John in verse 9, the true light, Jesus, which enlightens everyone. It's not just for Christians. It's, it's, it's the light is shining on everyone. And some people are receiving that light and walking by that light and, and having that light penetrate and transform their hearts. And others are living in darkness even as the light shines on them which enlightens everyone who is coming into the world. That's Christmas. Jesus was in the world, and the world was made through Jesus, yet the world did not know Jesus. Jesus came to his own, and Jesus' own people did not receive him. But, this is a big but. Oh, it's beautiful. Verse 12. But who... But to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in Jesus' name, Jesus gave the right to become children of God. To all who did believe on Jesus' name, 
gave them the right to become children of God, to be adopted into God's family. How is he going to do this? By becoming our substitute, our sacrifice. See, when I came to Jesus, I knew that I was the one who deserved to be on that cross. He said, no, Tommy. No, you, you can't pay for your own sins. Only I can do that because I'm perfect. I want to absorb from you all of the junk, all of the sin, all the stuff you've done in your life, all of the thoughts that you've thought, all of the motivations that were impure. I want to take that upon myself and I want to die for it. I want to bury it. And then when I rise again, I want to bring you new life that's stronger than the sin that was killing you. That's what he wants for all of us. Verse 13, here's where we see the two birthdays. Verse 13, become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man. That's the first birthday. That's the birthday that's on your driver's license. But of God, two birthdays. One, when we were born through our mom, right? And to our mom and, and our dad into this beautiful but sin-diseased, sin-wrecked world that we share in because of our inheritance from our first parents and, and all the decisions and all of the rebellion in our hearts and in our actions. That birth. And then a second birthday when you come to receive Jesus. That's the second birthday. Verse 14 and the word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. Some translations, uh, paraphrases say, God took on skin and moved into your neighborhood. That's what he did. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. That Jesus, that awesome, eternal, huge Jesus, big enough to demand our worship loving enough to capture our hearts, merciful enough to set us free. That Jesus who created everything, the first and the last, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of all eternity, who holds all things together, who redeems all things to God because of his faithfulness. That Jesus of all eternity came for you. He came for you. Let the reality, let the power of that sink in for a moment. Jesus, the Savior, who did not have an original birthday, chose to have a birthday when he knew there was a cross at the other bookend of it for you and for me so that we could have two birthdays. One that has a death day, right? When we stop breathing, all of us are going there, right? But we would have a second birthday in him that has no end date. He came where we are to live among us and become as we are in, in, our, in our bodies, 
so that we could become as he is and live where he is for all eternity. That's how much he didn't want to be apart from you. He came for you. He lived for you. He died for you. He rose for you. He's calling you. This is the Jesus that was born in the manger. So we can't afford to tune in after the first 10 minutes and miss what he was doing before who he was before, because that makes the emptying of himself, the sacrifice, the stooping down, if you will, so much more beautiful, so much more glorious. In order to understand the majesty, the beauty of him coming in person, we have to know that he left his throne in glory, worshiped by the heavenly angels to come down and be a homeless infant in a pig trough. In a, in a trough, feeding trough, and to live the perfect life and die the brutal death that you and I deserve. That's Christmas. <clears throat> he came for you. Here's a problem, and, the, and there is one, and I share in it, and I want, I, I want you to think about this, that rather than the first thing we said, right? right in the beginning, was we wanted to be swept up and swept away in the glory and the majesty and the wonder of the God who loves us so and went to such extravagant means to demonstrate it to us that he came for us, right? We trade all the enthusiasm, all of the joy, all of the focus and obsession with that incredible event. We trade all of that for enthusiasm over a flat screen TV and a DVD player, a Blu-ray, some electronics. Really. When even in the church, the acceptable answer to the question, how was your Christmas, could be answered by describing how much loot you took in. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with giving and receiving gifts to celebrate Christ's birth, but the most passionate discussion, even in Christian households around this time of year, is do we open the gifts on Christmas Eve or on Christmas morning? Not how can we tear our hearts? How can we open our minds? How can we seek God so passionately that we would be wrapped up and swept up and swept away in the majesty of the God of all the universe coming in the flesh for me because he didn't want to be apart from me? And that does offend Jesus. I guarantee it. When he came so that we might have him and have mercy. Does anybody here except for me need that? 